Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, get to chat some of the interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry of writing and self-publishing that we are in. And today we are delighted to have a very special guest, is Douglas B. Smith, who has been described by the Library Journal as one of Canada's most original writers of speculative fiction. And uh, we are absolutely delighted to have you here today to talk about short stories, which is uh, something you are very well known for. So, Doug, it is great to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Roland. Thanks to you and Craig for having me on the show. Oh, well, we are very happy to have you. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Greg? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Roland. And thanks for joining us, Doug. I know uh, we had discussed short stories, um, uh, you know, I don't know, it was probably 10 or 12 episodes back uh, in more of a general sort of topic about short story writing. In today's episode, um, we wanted to talk specifically about the rights um, that you have with your short stories, uh, you know, licensing, <clears throat> protecting your rights, contracts, the reversion of rights, all that kind of stuff that authors are, uh, maybe they don't know that they need to know, but they, they need to know that if they're going to be writing short fiction and they want to protect themselves and make sure that they have the ability to um, make as much money as possible and, and have as much control over what they write as uh, as they can. And I know that you have written a book on the topic um, called uh, Playing the Short Game, How to Sell Your Short Fiction. And that was actually based on a very uh, long series of articles that you wrote for Amazing Stories, a 32-part, uh, it looks like, series that you wrote for Amazing Stories back in 2013. Um, so, and, and interestingly, you know, you wrote those as an article, as a series of articles that was posted on that site. And then I imagine you got the rights back and you were able to turn it into a book. So, you know, that, that is very relevant to this discussion. So, you know, take it away. Tell us all about this. Yeah, well, thanks. And, and, and you're right. That, that is relevant. Um, I think the key thing, um, when I wrote the book, it was aimed at, and when I wrote the series, it was aimed at beginning writers or writers who are new to short fiction. And they often, I found, kept making the same mistakes. And it related to um, not understanding uh, that there are rights associated to any story that you that you create. And as soon as you've written that story, all of those rights belong to you. And they, they stay with you until you give them away. Um, and what I, I usually start with is telling a, a group of beginning writers um you will never sell a short story and that's not me trying to predict whether you're going to be successful at that's uh, marketing your short fiction it simply means even when a publisher says i love this great story i want to publish it they're not buying it from you and you're not selling it to them what you're doing is you're licensing these very particular sets of rights uh for that story to this third party who is is the the publisher and at some point if you do it right those rights come back to you it's called rights reversion uh and that's what you want to do you want to make sure that two things to check you license the minimum number of rights associated with your story and you make sure in a contract that uh there's a very specific trigger 
um, where once that event occurs, the rights come back to you and it's now your story again. And you can do, um, you can resell it. You can do a number of things with it. We can, we can talk about what the options are. But right, sometimes thing, I, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, sometimes I think that, you know, um, different publishers have different rules about what the reversion, um, can can be i guess and and other publishers have uh rules around uh what that story like for instance they might say we only will publish it if it's the first uh time it's being published right so you have yeah. to also keep that in mind it's like if you want to sell it to five different places maybe a couple of them won't even take it if they're not the first one that's exactly right and that is probably the most critical message um that i start with around rights so <clears throat> If you don't mind, I'm going to quickly go through some of the dimensions of rights because until you understand those, it's, it's kind of we're just talking about you know vagaries here. So um, the the first one is what form the media the the story takes uh, and when it's presented to the to the reader to the end consumer. I call those media rights. And in our world today, you, um, it will be either a print. Um, market it'll be an electronic market or it'll be an audio market and it could be a combination of those a lot of the um the short fiction markets have gone to strictly ebook format uh, but some of them will still have a print uh form as well so if, if you're selling to a print market they are going to want uh print rights that's obvious if you're selling to an ebook market they want electronic rights but there's another dimension as well there's uh, two types of markets. It's either a magazine uh, for short fiction or it's an anthology, which means it's an actual book and it has um, a number of short stories by different authors in that. So those two dimensions um, combine. So if I'm selling to, say, a, uh, a print-only magazine, they're going to want print serial rights. Serial means it's a magazine. That's all it means. If it's a magazine, they'll need serial rights. If I'm selling to an electronic anthology, they're going to want uh, electronic anthology rights. So you can kind of mix and match all of those. And you can look at what type of market you're selling to. Then when you see your contract, you can say, well, that makes sense. You know, they've got a print and an electronic version, and they're asking for world electronic uh, uh, and print rights. And so hopefully that's, that's obvious. We can, we can go through a lot of different iterations and combinations, but you're going to have those two things. I'm putting audio aside simply to simplify this. Um, print or electronic and magazine or anthology. And the next dimension is geography. And if, as most markets do, they have an electronic version that kind of goes out the window because as soon as you see that they need electronic rights, it means they need world rights uh, because you can't restrict where an ebook is sold to, you know, the United States or something like that. Um, if they are print only, and that's becoming rarer and rarer, but you see it in a lot of, say, literary magazines, um, they will have a geography dimension to their rights. So let's say it's a U.S. based print magazine. Um, they will ask for uh, serial print rights for a particular geography, and I'll typically be North American. So you'll see a request for North American serial print rights. And North American is 
common if it's a U.S. magazine because they're going to distribute into Canada to pick up, you know, that extra 10% of the English-speaking market. Uh, and then um, the, the next dimension is language. And again, to simplify this, especially when we're talking about the first time you sell a story, we'll, we'll just assume it's English. Now, one thing I usually recommend to writers when they're looking at a contract, if someone is asking for world rights, they often won't mention language um, because they're assuming English. But technically, legally, if you sell world rights, they could say, I can sell this anywhere in the world, which means I can sell in any language. And so I could sell translations of this story, too. So I will usually, in a contract, if I see that, I will add, if they're asking for world rights, I'll just say world rights in English. Simple change, and you know they're not going to argue about it. So those are the, the simple dimensions of rights. Sorry, Roland, you're on mute. I was just going to say that's really interesting. So if they, so that would give them the rights to publish in different parts of the world in a different language. Would they have to pay? They would have to pay for the translation, obviously. But then, does you as a rights holder, yeah. you if you signed that, you'd signed away your rights to have any control over the translation. That's a really interesting thing to highlight. Yeah, no, it, I put it in because I'm paranoid. Um, I, I haven't come across any situation, you know, I've heard of stories, but technically if you're, if you don't specify world rights in English and you're just giving them world rights, they could argue, um, you take them to court over it, but you could argue, they could argue that, yeah, you gave us world rights. Um, we can talk about, if we have time, we can talk about selling foreign language, um, translations, uh, like selling your story to be translated into a foreign language. I've, I've sold in, um, I think, 27 different languages. Uh, that's that's a separate issue. Um, but yeah, that, that it's possible. And it's a huge market. Um, so yeah, you should be protecting not just your English rights, you should be pre- protecting the, um, the right to have your story translated as well. So I guess the point of that is, is <laughs> mainly that you don't want to sell the foreign language rights without sort of getting properly compensated for it by just assuming that, you know, like basically you think that you're only selling English and they're like, haha, we're going to get it for, <laughs> we're going to get all your languages. But if really they want all the languages, they should pay for all the languages. Yeah, they should. And, and again, this would be an exception. I, I don't, <clears throat> I haven't had the situation where someone's done that to me, but um, it's a simple change. You had two words to your contract and you're covered. I've, um, I think I've averaged about $100 per foreign language sale. Um, and that's over, I don't know, I haven't checked, yet, but easily over 100 um, foreign language sales I've made. So do the math. And that's the money, you know, I would have been out. It's not a huge amount, but, you know, certainly pays for your, your Starbucks every week. Um, this brings us to the absolute most important dimension of rights. And, and Craig, you, you referenced it about, um, um, some magazines not buying what we generally call reprints. They, they want to be the first market to to publish your story. And that's what I call occurrence rights. And there are two types. There's first rights and there's second rights. And the first rights, obviously, you're licensing them to uh, to a market the very first time you sell a story. And you can never license first rights again after that. 
Uh, if you properly structure your contract and there's a clear reversion trigger where the, the rights to your story come back to you, they come back to you. Yeah, all those rights you, you license, they come back to you, but they come back as second rights. So you can never license that story, first rights for that story again. The next time you can sell that story over and over and over and over again. I've sold a number of stories over two dozen times. Um, I say sold. Okay. Yes, I've licensed rights to that story multiple times, but yeah. Um, we common call, call that, commonly call that uh, selling a reprint. Um, but you can only do that if you made sure that the, the rights that you originally licensed uh, revert back to you and it becomes your story again. So, so uh, it, it doesn't, it's always considered second rights, not third rights, fourth rights, fifth rights, right? Like if you're selling it more than once, 2000 times, you're always selling second rights. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good clarification. There is no such thing as third right to fourth right. So the, you know, the 24th time I sold a story, I was licensing second rights. One exception, uh, the combination of first rights relate to, um, yeah, the first time you've sold it, but also the, the media that you sold it and the language that you sold it. So if, if I, if I sell a story to an English market, and then I later, uh, the rights revert to me and I sell that story to a French market. I'm actually, I call it selling a reprint, but what I'm really doing is I'm licensing first French rights to that story. And if I wanted to sell that story to another French market and they only took first rights, I wouldn't be able to do it because I've already licensed first French rights. So, yeah, I've sold so, a story multiple times, multiple languages, but each time in each different language, the first time I sold in that language, I was, I was licensing first rights in that language. So is that fairly standard in the sense that, you know, if you were to do that, that example, uh, would you need to uh, let the, the French publication know that, by the way, this was published in English, but, you know, you're getting the first French rights and that's just fine with them? Or do some of them more want like first ever rights? <laughs> That's a, that's a great question. Um, and I, I, I covered that in, in the section on selling to foreign markets. I strongly recommend to writers for a couple of reasons that they sell their stories first in English, like sell it to a first, uh, to a, an English market first. Two reasons. One is uh, what you said is true. Um, when I submit a story to a foreign language market, I say this story first appeared in and you give the, the market name and the date, the issue, and whatever. Um, first, just you need to do that out of courtesy and, and, and to make sure you're, you're being upfront with them. But in most cases, um, a foreign language market is going to take that as a good thing, uh, especially if your story first appeared in a top professional market in English. Um, it, a couple of things. One, it, it <clears throat> means they're... they're um, they know they're getting a, a quality story. It's already, you know, appeared in the top market. And it's something that they can put on their own cover. You know, here's a story that first appeared in Asimov's or fantasy and science fiction or something like that. So that's a good thing. They like that. The second reason I recommend you, you know, writers sell to English markets first is that some of those top markets and the ones I mentioned, fantasy and science fiction, Asimov's, there's probably some more, they actually have agreements in place with um, some non-English markets, um, where those markets 
uh, have the right to look over the the uh, issues of you know Anasimovs and say, yeah, we want to republish this one, and they will compensate Asimovs for that, and then they can publish that story. So it's your story. So that means when you when you um, sell a story to Asimovs, you're actually giving away those rights. Now I say giving away, you're you're getting paid top pro rates for a very top market, but part of that. Um, sale uh, you're, is you're licensing that right. So flip it around. If you sell to perhaps one of those foreign language magazines that uh, Asimov has an agreement with, when you try to sell to Asimov later, they may love your story. But when you tell them it's already appeared in so-and-so magazine in France, they're going to say, oh, sorry, we actually have an agreement with them. And um, that could jeopardize a sale to a top English pro market. So English first, and then license or, or, or try to market your uh, stories to foreign language markets. That's a good point. That's uh, that's interesting. Never thought about that. So you um, you're getting more for somebody that does that, like Asimov's, uh, because you're basically selling them the rights uh, to more than one language, but um, but probably not as much if you had sold it separately, I guess, because it's not even like they're getting paid by that person, but they're not even necessarily getting paid for it. I, I would imagine. Right. Like it's, only um, I don't know what the legal, you know, the, the contractual relationship is between, you know, those magazines and, and the form. Right. I just mean like, um, would it be uh, more lucrative to sell it separately yourself to English and French than to, for example, or, than to sell it to a place like that, that would buy both so that they could sell the French potentially. No, my, my recommendation is that's why you don't sell to English markets first. If you have a chance, if you submit a story to an Asimov's or a fantasy and science fiction, um, and, and they want to buy it, sell it to them. Okay. I mean, that's just so much, um, uh, credibility for you on your short fiction resume to appear in those markets. It's, it's fine. So it's, it's only the really big ones that do that, I guess. As, as far to my knowledge, great. Um, yeah. I, I doubt if any of the other ones would, because, you know, they have to have enough cachet in the English market that a foreign language market would say, you know, all the top stories in English are appearing in, in or most of them are appearing in these, these magazines. So we should, we should, um, try to see if we can uh, get a relationship with them. Um, but, you know, quite frankly, you're not going into short fiction to become rich. It's, it's never going to let you leave your day job. So when I say, you know, you can, you can make more money by selling second, um, second rights to foreign language markets or selling reprints if you predict your rights, yeah, you'll get more money, but it's still not going to get you, you know, the, the house in Beverly Hills or whatever. So... You're, right. you're not you're not living as a short fiction writer, right? I think that was something uh, that we covered in the first one as well. It was same sort of uh, warning, <laughs> but that's uh, but that's good. That's good to to know. I mean, uh, it's nice that you're able to you know sell these things in multiple ways, though. So it does allow you to to sort of profit off of something, you know, that you're not getting a huge amount of money for um, in individually, but at least you can get paid multiple times yeah and um so I, if i could just circle around to everything we've talked about leads me to the um the main recommendation i, I make to beginning short fiction writers um so the key point is 
the one you originally raised about some some markets only take first rights um and those are all the top markets so all the top short fiction markets in english only will license first rights they will not take a reprint so think that through if you want to break in if you want to make a name for yourself as a short fiction writer you want to break into those markets you want to sell to a pro market so my my main recommendation to to writers is you take everything we i just you know taught you about licensing and you build that into your marketing strategy because uh, all of this is designed to let you create a strategy where you decide where you send your new stories your brand new finished story where you send them first and obviously you should be sending them only to the top pro markets you start at the top that's my main piece of advice for writers start at the top go down a list and you put the list in whatever order you want of the top pro markets maybe it's the ones who pay the most maybe it's the ones you just love and would love to be in that in that magazine and you run down that list you send the story out you wait for your rejection because trust me nine times out of ten for beginning writer 19 times out of 20 i think that's about my average when i started uh, you're going to get a rejection when you get that rejection you go to your list and this really helps if you actually have your list already you say that's fine that's most bounced it next on my list is fantasy and science fiction i'll send it there and you send the story out that night you know, as soon as you get a rejection you send it out. it really helps deal with the sting of rejection um and you just keep going down that list until you run out of pro markets and then what, this question go ahead what do you what is the turnaround um are you still sending them you're not sending them by mail anymore right i'm sure you're submitting them electronically so what's the sort of turnaround if you were to submit something to asmos or one of the big ones how long before they tell you whether they they want it or not it, it can vary the frustrating thing is if they like it though it'll take longer to hear before they reject it um, because it, it goes if you're a beginner you're going to go in the, what they call the slush pile and that's all the stories from writers they have no idea who you are um there's sort of three piles there's the pile of stories very small pile of stories where they actually reached out to somebody like they might have reached out to you know if they're a horror magazine they'd reach out to stephen king and say you know we'll pay you top rates and we're doing this theme next month or two months could you send us a story those stories are going to get published even if they're not that good because they're They'll put that author's name on the on the cover, and it will sell that that issue. Uh, the next pile is uh, slightly larger, but still sm small. And those are all the writers with pro credits. Notice I mentioned pro. Doesn't matter if you put in your cover letter that I've sold to X Y Z market. If they've never heard of it, you go in the slush pile. So if you have pro credits, you put it on your cover letter, and you get in the second pile, which gets you gets. Guess what? It gets you faster rejections. That's what it gets you. That's all it gets you. Doesn't guarantee a sale, but they will look at those stories first. And then the beginning writers, they're in the swash pile. And and it will take typically. Um, most pro markets will say, look, if you haven't heard from us in three months, I usually advise four months. You can query. And yet it's all electronic. Most of these places have an uh, electronic portal. Um, where they uh, where they have you submit your stories. It could be submittable. It could be submishmash. It could be a lot of different ones. Um, or um, 
email with an attachment. Uh, and you can query that way too. When I started, um, it was snail mail. You know, you include a self-addressed stamped envelope for the, for the reply, for the rejection. So like you're paying them to send you their rejection. Uh, But yeah, everything's electronic. So if you were to send one off, I mean, you shouldn't do this, obviously, but if you were to send one (laughs) off to more than one at a time, the problem with that is if, uh, if they both take it and they both expect those first rights, then you're kind of in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. I think you have read my book in my series or something. <laughs> <laughs> You're hitting all the highlights. Wouldn't so that be a nice problem, problem to have, though? <laughs> yeah. It, no, it wouldn't be because that's uh, there are very few. A lot of beginning writers worry. Oh, if I if I if I send them a bad story, they don't like it or something. They're going to put put me on a blacklist or something like that. Something silly. This actually is the way you can get onto a blacklist and probably the only way other than maybe, you know, getting into a fight with a publisher at a, at a, at a convention. Um, if you submit um, a first rate story to more than one market at the same time, that is an absolute no, no, please don't do that. Um, because if you have the situation that Craig talked about, that both of them accept it, you've got a problem. You've got to tell one of them, yeah, sorry. I know you both only buy first rights, license first rights, so you got to turn one of them down. And especially for a magazine, it, they have very short production cycles. So by the time they tell you that they're buying your, your story, they're probably getting pretty close to the next issue date, um, or they could be. And you've given them a big problem because now they got this big chunk in their magazine, their next issue that they've got to fill with another story. So don't ever do that. And the, the kicker or the complicating, yeah, it, and a lot of like beginning writers don't know it. Like it, it's a really bad thing to do. Um, and the irony there is that, you know, like they can reject you, but you can't reject them. <laughs> exactly. So back to your original question, you got to send it out, send it out to your top pro market, wait that three to four months query. Um, and if, if they don't respond, that's one thing I will say, if you want to stretch the, the rules a bit. If you send them a query as to, hey, I submitted this four months ago, you know, I just appreciate an update on where it stands in terms of um, reviewing the submission. If they don't respond, you can send it out to another market. I don't like doing that. I, I tend to just wait. Um, the best solution to that is that you've got so many stories out there. You're not really sweating over one particular story. If it's four months or five months before you hear back on it, uh, you should have enough stories out there. What you should not be doing is sending out one story and then just sitting and waiting to hear on that story. Um, it's it's going to take you years and years to build up enough um, story sales to have a reasonable resume in short fiction if you do that. Write a lot of stories keep them in the mail to multiple markets, but only one pro market at a time for one story. Right. Makes sense. So, Oh, sorry. The complicating factor, I was going to say one complicating factor is you're starting to see a lot of markets say, yes, we do accept simultaneous submissions. And that's what this is called a SIM sub or a simultaneous submission where you're sending out the same story to multiple markets at the same time. So you say, well, that's fine. You know, I'm sending it to market A and market B and market A says they take simultaneous submissions. Well, unless all the markets take simultaneous submissions, you still have the same problem. If market A and market B both give you an offer, market B is going to be 
pretty just with you if you sell it to market A. So you're kind of forced in that situation. You got to give it to market B. Market A will at least understand that you um, you sim sub because they said you could, but you're you're tying your hands. So once again, and the other point is, top pro markets do not accept simultaneous submissions. That may change, so, but I don't think so. So I mean, if they're saying you can do it, then I mean they really shouldn't get mad if <laughs> if you do it and they both like it. But is there? Um, uh, a possibility that if you know you took you you sold it to the one that so so they both said they'd take it take simultaneous submissions you submit it to both they both like it you say yes to one would the other then maybe want to buy the second rights it's possible but unlikely and i probably i probably buried the main point here the top pro markets don't accept, accept simultaneous submissions. right right but i mean so if, if you're you sending to Non- if you are, so well, that means flip that around. If you're sending your story to simultaneous uh, submission markets, that means you're not sending it to top pro markets, which means you just broke my first rule. So just send well, it to pro markets. I, I'm uh, assuming that I've already been rejected from all the pro markets. <laughs> and I'm at that stage now. <laughs> okay, great question. Thank you. It leads into my next piece of advice, which is um, what happens when you run out of pro markets for a story? And my advice is you do not go any lower. You just sit on that story. Again, you should have a whole bunch of stories written and a whole bunch of stories going on, making the rounds. Just hold on to that story because new pro markets open up all the time. Uh, maybe not pro magazines. They're a little less frequent. But every year there are new uh, pro rate anthologies that come out. And the cool thing about anthologies is they tend to be themed. So if you've got this weird, I don't know, radioactive chickens in Kansas story um, that you haven't been able to sell anywhere, just wait. There will be a radioactive animals anthology that comes out sometime. and You'll, you'll actually have an easier time getting into that anthology. Because if you've got an on-theme story for a themed anthology, your, your likelihood of acceptance, assuming it's decently written, goes the way up. Well, yeah, it's funny how many short stories. Well, I was going to say, so many short story authors we've spoken to who've been like, "Well, this was the brief they gave us, and I wrote something different." And it's and it 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 does seem like if you can follow instructions, that really does help with getting your book accepted, your story accepted. Yeah, I mean, if 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 there's a theme uh, and you're not writing the theme, you're you're just you're wasting your time. You're never going to get in. have a theme for a reason. Um, yeah, so they so, okay, so, on the foot. So you, you might have mentioned this, but um, I'm not sure if I'm totally clear. So top pro markets, which I assume there's something that tells us what a top pro market is, but uh, they will only take first rights. Is that how it works? Yeah, I don't know any top professional market. And again, I should clarify, I'm talking speculative fiction here, right? So right. science fiction, fantasy, or um, uh, mystery, et cetera, detective, that sort of thing. Um, great question. So uh, the definition of a pro market that I use, again, again because I'm a spec fic writer, is the same that CIFWA uses, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association. And that is current rate per rate means eight cents a word us so it pays a minimum of eight cents a word um 
it should be published. I think the other criteria is it has to be published at least three issues a year if it's a magazine. Um, so those are the main ones. I mean, if you're not getting eight cents U.S. a word, you're selling to a non-pro market. Uh, so that's the first criteria. Uh, and the other one is sort of cachet. Um, there may be some uh, some top markets out there that don't quite pay the eight cents a word, but they're very highly respected. Best way to find out what those are is to look at the Hugo Awards, the Nebula Awards, the World Fantasy Awards, things like that. Run down the short fiction category for, say, the last five years and see where the um, the finalist stories appeared in, what those markets were. But in most cases, you're going to find it's, it's the ones that pay eight cents a word. So again, yeah, only send to top pro markets and none of them take um, will buy second rights or and also none of them will will accept simultaneous submissions. So again, pick your top pro market, send it to them and wait on that story until you get an acceptance, hopefully, or a rejection. Okay, so um, yeah, because I'm trying to follow the the line of um, you said don't if you run out of pro markets, you don't go lower. So the idea with that is the caveat to that is we're talking about the first rights because the point of that is, you know, you want to sell your first rights to the pro markets. It's not that you never go lower, but when you go lower, that's for your second rights, right? Is that, if I got yeah. that right? Okay. You so, do. Okay. Hang on. And I apologize. I'm jumping around here yep. in, in, no in the book, in the short game book. I, I lay it out very logically and, and step by step. Um, but that, that's a good question. So we'll, we'll talk about how we make sure that the rights come back to you, the reversion issues. But the um, you hit on the, the key point for second rights. You can sell them. I say, you know, if you can sell a reprint, sell it. Um, I would prefer that you get money for it. And you can, you can kind of draw the line. Um, where you want, you know, you can sell a reprint for free if you want, if you just want to be in that particular magazine. But uh, usually I, I would say the, um, the good magazines that accept reprints will pay between one and three cents a word. So if it's a 5,000 word story, you can get somewhere between 50 and 150 bucks for a reprint. And remember, you can sell reprints as many times as you can sell reprints many times that you can find a market that um, is willing to republish your, your story. So those little reprint sales can, can add up. Um, and, and, that, and that's the key point. And again, we're, we're talking English markets. Um, right. If you add the foreign language translations to that, that, that gives you yet another um, world to, to sell reprints into, even though technically they're not reprints, you're, you're, licensing first rights in their language but you know we view them as reprints okay so then uh, that means that it just it just logically follows then that when you're selling your second rights simultaneous submissions is perfectly fine because every because there is no third and fourth so you should be able to send out as many copies as you want at the same time for second rights right yeah and i i will tend to do that if if um matter of courtesy uh if one of those buys it um i i will i will pull the other um submissions for for that particular story because it's just you know even though it's a reprint if if that publication uh is putting my my story out as as a reprint 
um, they're not going to be too thrilled if it also appears in another uh, reprint magazine at around the same time. But yeah, you can, oh. you can submit. You can submit uh, second rights because second rights are not exclusive. First rights are exclusive. Okay, so when you said earlier that you sold, you know, one story, lots and lots of times, you did that sequentially then instead of you know and the only reason for that is just you know being polite because we're canadian um it's not that you had to it's just it's just a matter of you know uh you sell it and then you don't want it to come out you know the same april issue or something yeah and and also you factor in the fact that even after you know um after you start selling stories your rejection rate will go down um, but it still is not like you send out a story and they're going to buy it. Um, you know, I, I think I'm probably about one sale every nine to 10 submissions. Um, that's on, on reprints, like counting reprints as well. So, you know, what really factors into that, Craig, is more like that. Yeah, you send out those, those submissions and most of them are still going to get rejected. So, yeah. Um, and also, I've been doing this for over a couple of decades. So, you know, the, I keep the stories out there, even in reprints, and uh, you know, the sales come when they come. But, uh, so the sales become easier because um, not necessarily that the place has heard of you, but when you are submitting a story, um, you're sending a cover letter that basically says, hey, you know, this story or, or this this author has been published in, in these magazines, maybe talk about how many times. And or and if it's about this certain story, you might say they sold the first rights to Asimov's and then we're, now we're offering second rights. You probably have to mention what rights you're offering in uh, in your your cover letter. Is that right? Is that and then that's what gets you into sort of the different piles. So now all of a sudden you you know you're somebody who sold it to to Asimov, so they're going to put you in that that middle pile. Yeah, it gets you into the pile. It doesn't doesn't help you sell the story. They buy right. stories. They don't they don't buy cover letters, and that's another thing. So that's what I emphasize is when you get a pro sale, yes, put it in your cover letter, but don't expect that you're going to get a sale because of that. It simply means, as I said, you'll get a faster rejection. They'll read that second pile before they read the slush pile. So you'll get your rejection before the slush pile writers will get it. That's all it means. Um, No, I think your rejection rate goes down because you get better as a writer. Um, You start writing better stories. That's the main thing. Um, And and to to some extent, your rejection rate, if you're counting reprints, will go down because you've got... um, probably a higher acceptance rate, well, definitely a higher acceptance rate for selling a reprint than you do for, um, for first rights. Because you're, if you follow my advice, you're selling, you're trying to sell first rights to the pro markets, and those are the toughest markets to get into. Right. And then, I mean, but the second rights to the other markets, they only know that you sold the first rights if you tell them. And well, you have to tell them. Yeah, you have to tell them. It has to go into your, your cover letter. So if you're submitting a, a story as a reprint, you say, this story first appeared in such and such a market. And also, if it won an award, you put that in too. So, you know, it's, it's kind of your sales pitch. So that those things also um, uh, do help the likelihood that you might, you might sell the reprint. And you do that. The, the submission letter for a foreign language uh, market is the same as the submission letter for a reprint English market. 
say where it first appeared and you say if it has any award uh, award wins. Okay, cool. So if you were to have all the rights um, to your stories, you know, you can do whatever you want with them, really. But is there more than just, um, you know, these markets that you've talked about? I, I mean, I imagine it's not too often that, uh, a short story would want would get you know option for a film or or you know for TV, but that that's a separate kind of rights, and that has nothing to do with all these other things that we're talking about. That would be like you know a whole separate situation. You probably want an agent for that too, but but I mean you know it's it's sort of like those rights are separate than all this, right? Uh, well, they are, but they're attached to your short story. And if, if a beginning writer uh, isn't careful, they can find that they've given away film rights and, and okay, ever so many rights. That's so, what I was wondering, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a, a good thing to um, to come to contracts. So some short fiction markets won't even have a contract. If they don't, I, I recommend to writers that they at least send them a, you know, a document or a an email that details the most important things. And the, the main thing you want to look for in a contract is that you are minimizing the rights that you are licensing to them. So, and, and some typical examples that you actually do see is that it's a print and electronic magazine um, uh, or anthology that is also requesting audio rights. Uh, and that's another thing. If someone asks for electronic rights, I will like, say I'll, I will add exclusive of audio rights because if they're just putting out an ebook edition, they don't need audio. Uh, but some of them will ask for audio, and you'll ask them why. And say, well, we're thinking about you know maybe we'll, we'll eventually put out an audio version of our of our magazine. Well, that's fine. When eventually so you can get you, so Go ahead. So like with the translations, they have to cre create the audio version of it when they have an audio version of their magazine. Yeah. And, um, you know, I recommend you you just take that out. If they if they aren't right now going to publish your story as, as an audio version, then they have no right to be asking for audio rights. But you have to read the contract and you have to ask them to take that out. And it's. It's a polite discussion. It says, thank you for your interest in publishing my story. I've reviewed your contract. I have a few, I have a few requested changes detailed below. And you just go through them paragraph by paragraph for the changes you want. The first one is you make sure they don't request more rights than they need to legally publish your story. Um, the second one is uh, reversion. There should be a very, very clear reversion trigger. Um, and you might say three months after publication, which is typical for a magazine sale, is a clear reversion trigger. And in most cases it is, but what happens if they just hold your story? Yeah, we're gonna put it out in the next one or two issues. And then five issues later, they still haven't published your story. Well, guess what? Based on that contract clause, they still hold the rights to your story. So I prefer um, a, a clear reversion trigger. You can keep there three months after publication if that's in, but uh, I like to add something like if the story, for whatever reason, is not published within 12 months of this contract date, then all rights revert to the, to the author and the author gets to keep any monies paid to that date. So make sure that's in. So a very clear trigger uh, that isn't dependent on events over which you have no control, a date that is X months after the contract date, that is 
firm and clear. There's a couple other reversion situations you should probably cover because they can come up and really, um, really mess you up. One is if the publication just folds, what happens to your rights? If it folds before you publish, they publish your story. Technically, you know, that's, um, they still hold it unless you have the X months after the contract date. And the other one is what happens if they sell? And this happens a lot with, with uh, short fiction markets, magazines, if they sell to another publisher. Um, you should have something in there where they cannot transfer the, the rights that they hold. Right? So at some point, they're going to sell. And at that point, they're about to publish the next issue. They hold a whole bunch of rights to the stories that they were about to publish. And they can sell those rights as part of their assets to the new publisher. Um, I like to put in something not to say, no, you can't do that, but to say it needs my approval. Like they may sell to a publisher I hate or one that is associated with political causes I want nothing to do with or do not want to have my story associated with. Um, so I put in a clause where I get to say whether, yes, you can you can transfer those uh, those rights over to the publisher. So that's it. Uh, what rights are, are you licensing? When do those rights come back to you? And then something in there that deals with those weird situations of they fold or they sell to another publisher. There's more in a contract you should look for, but those, in terms of protecting your rights, those are the, the four, four key things you should look at. So if they were to um, accept your story, you were saying earlier that usually they're publishing it um, fairly quickly, like within the next month or two, right? So um, if that standard clause was there, usually you're only waiting, I don't know, four or five months probably before you get the rights back. Um, but you're saying extending it out to 12 months, is that sort of standard? Or, it seems like a lot to me if they're just sitting on your story, but I don't know if that's standard. Like, uh, you know, would, would oh, no, because they, you're just trying to cover the, the weird situation that they sit on your story. And they could be sitting on it for whatever reason. They just, um, and, and usually, if your story is published within uh, three months, that's pretty fast. It's usually like half a year for a, for a magazine. Um, so I'm just trying to cover the situation where um, they never publish and your rights never come back to you. So you need to right. have a trigger in there. So it can be three months after publication and should it, story never be published uh, or still not published after 12 months, then the rights revert to you. So you're covering both situations that way. Right. No, I, I get that. I was more, I was more wondering about whether 12 months is like, a, like it seemed to me like that's a long period of time, but maybe that's more standard. Like I was like, Oh, maybe six months would be better, but maybe is 12 sort of the standard for that clause. For, for magazines, it's typically um, some period after their subsequent issue comes out. So if your story appears in issue four or 42, then rights will revert to you usually after issue number 43 comes out. Um, that can be four months. That can be six months. That can be, depends how often they, they publish. But again, you leave that clause in, but you need to have something where it might be valid reasons. They, uh, you know, Doug, um, your story is really going to fit better in issue number 45. So we're, we're going to push it out to that. And, and that's fine. And what I'm saying is I will accept that, but I'm going to have a clause in there that they can't just keep saying that. Yeah, you're going to be in issue 46 or 48 or 20, you know, 204 now. 
Um, uh, so I put in that other clause that, that they can push it, but they can't push it past more than a year. And again, yeah, have as just... many stories written and have as many stories out to many markets as you can. And you are not going to be, you know, um, moaning and groaning over a delay in one particular story. So the key is keep writing, keep writing stories, uh, and keep them in the mail. So one story is not going to mess up your, your, uh, your short fiction strategy. Yeah. I was just thinking maybe 12, 12 months was like giving them too much time, but it sounds like that's probably standard. What if they were to come to you and say, um, you know, we're coming up to the 12 months, but we're, we're thinking about, uh, or we we're going to be publishing it, uh, you know, in, in the 13th month or something like that. Yeah. Does that ever happen? And, and would you be like, sure, that's fine. Or would you say, well, now you have to extend the contract and pay me a little bit more money or. I'd, I'd never negotiate for, for more money. I mean, short fiction. Yeah. Or, well, so, so you just let them do that, I guess. Uh, it depends on, uh, you know, if I've never dealt with that magazine before, um, I, I, I probably would ask them to uh, reissue the contract with a 18 month, right? So they can't just keep doing this and doing this. Um, if it's a magazine I've dealt with a lot of times and sold to multiple times before, I'd say, yeah, no problem. Uh, that would be the extent of the discussion. Do they typically tell you when they're going to publish? I will usually ask that. Usually, when you know when you get the contract, um, if it's not specified in in there, uh, when I return the the eventual uh, signed contract, I'll you know I'll ask the uh, the editor. I'll say, do you know when my story is going to appear? And um, they will usually tell me a, a range of issues or months. So usually, short fiction magazines. Uh, an anthology typically um, uh, will have a harder uh, publication date already already set. Right. Cool. So, have we covered all the it's main so topics? Then, or was there... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was I was going to ask pretty much the same question, but it's so fascinating that um, you know there are so many nuances to short story publication that you might not even think about. I think for a lot of us, when we first get a short story published we're so excited about getting published that you know we sign our life away not even thinking about like the bigger picture and all of the different intricacies and things so this has been such a fascinating uh dive into that topic yeah that, that's a that's a great point and that's what i i warn uh beginning writers uh when i run down all these things to look for in the contract and and what i emphasize is please don't just sign it like if there are issues that you now recognize please just send a very polite business-like email back and saying, you know, again, thank you for your interest in publishing my story. I've reviewed your contract. I have a few questions or I have a few requested changes. Um, they, you are always going to get a contract that favors the publisher. Uh, most of the top pro markets, they're very, very fair contracts. Um, you're, you're just not going to have any, any issues, but you know, other ones you might. So just please review the contract with a with a uh, a knowledge of, of what we talked about here, and don't be afraid to go back because you're right, Roland. A lot, you know, if this is your first sale, oh my God, um, for you to to push back on the publisher and say I don't like your contract, even though you do it politely, um, a lot of them are going to be scared and will just sign the sign the contract, and you may find that story is never yours again. You just signed away the rights to it. So please don't do that. One more thing I will 
mention, and I pushed aside audio markets, but uh, we should mention them because they're a growing um, uh, market for short fiction. Um, most audio markets in the past, it's starting to change, but most of them actually preferred reprints. So they, they would actually say that up front. And again, it's because, you know, if you, if you sold your story to a top pro market, they can kind of just pick it up and know that it's a good story. Is it going to fit the audio form? That's really our only question. Is it too short, too long, whatever. Um, but yeah, audio markets, again, similar to foreign language markets, I recommend submitting to them after you sold the story uh, to a top print or ebook or electronic market. So treat them like reprint markets because a lot of them, they prefer reprints. And if you are selling your short story, your written short story to an audio market, are you responsible for converting it to audio or do they handle that? No, they handle that. Um, and, and um, I mean, there's a few out there that pay really good rates, um, which I find surprising because they have to pay for the, uh, the cost of um, uh, paying the, uh, you know, the, the voice actors to do that. And sometimes you'll get, typically it's one voice actor um, who does the entire story. Like there, there are a few though that I've, I've worked with, which is quite cool, where they actually have multiple voice actors. So you got three characters, oh, three voice actors. That's cool. Um, and you get paid for it. So, um, yeah, the, you don't have to do that. You submit them, submit to them your, your original, you know, written manuscript that you sold to a print market. That's really, that's really yeah, that's brilliant. Oh, well, this has been so insightful. Unfortunately, we're kind of, uh, unfortunately, we're coming up to the, the top of the hour. So we're going to have to, to wrap things up. But that has been such a fascinating uh, dive into the subject. Craig, do you have any final questions before we ask Doug to, to let people know where they can find him, out more about him? Uh, no, I, I think it's. I think it really is fascinating because a lot of authors, um, especially self-publishers, don't ever really worry about any of this stuff, like rights and contracts and stuff, because you you know you just upload your book to Amazon and then that's it, right? So this is something that um, somebody who is thinking about getting into short stories who has experienced writing. Uh, self-publishing, they might not even really be thinking about all these different things. So it's really important to uh, discuss all the uh, stuff that they need to know before they they dive right in. So thanks for coming on and and going through it all with us. And you know, you made it really easy to understand. So uh, it's very helpful. Well, thank thanks to you both for having me on. Um, I, I will. One thing I didn't mention, I deal with in the book, is I strongly recommend that writers submit to actual short fiction publishers as opposed to putting out a short story as an ebook and throwing it up on Amazon, et cetera. Um, you, you know, you're not going to be able to charge more than 99 cents or something. Maybe it's your reader magnet to get your readers onto your mailing list, but short fiction can really help build your resume and it can, it's got a lot of benefits, um, but you lose all those benefits, which are, you know, getting pro, markets on your resume and also being eligible for awards, et cetera. Uh, so I, I strongly recommend, even if you're an indie author novelist, if you're writing short stories, you try to submit them to short fiction markets. Uh, if you want to know more about this, if you want to know more about my writing, my uh, website is pretty easy. It's smithwriter, all one word, smithwriter.com. 
and you can find all my books there. And the book that we've essentially been talking about here is called Playing the Short Game, How to Market and Sell Short Fiction. And you can find buying links on my website there, and it's on all various retailers, ebook and uh, and print. So uh, I hope uh, if people are interested, if you really want to give your short fiction career a boost and make sure you don't step on any of the landmines, uh, I hope you'll check it out. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Doug. We really appreciate you spending the time to, to go into this topic in such detail. So if you're listening to this or watching it on YouTube and you've appreciated what Doug had to say, please make sure to leave him a comment down below and hit that like button. And while you're down there, also hit that subscribe button and there's a little bell notification, all that jazz, you know the deal. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. Until then, thank you very much for supporting us. Bye-bye.